Second Samuel 14, the verse 1, it says, Now Joab, the son of Joab, sent to Tekoa, and fenced thence a woman, and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner, and put on now mourning apparel, and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead, and come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. And so Joab put the words in her mouth. Just in case you're with sort of Old Testament history, we're thinking here about King David. Joab is one of the commanders in David's army. And Joab has seen a particular set of events, and he feels that there's a need for him. And so he has selected this woman that we've read about here in verse 2, the woman of Tekoa. And he is going to get her to go uh, and speak to the king. He's going to get her to present a certain situation, uh, a certain set of events to the, to the king. And uh, hopefully by doing that, he can change what is happening here. So that's, that's what we're about to read here. Verse 4, it says, And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and did obeisance and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thine handmaid had two sons, and the two strove together in the field. And there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid. And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew. And we will destroy the earth also, and so they shall quench my coal which is left, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. And the king said unto the woman, Go to thine house, and I will give thee charge concerning thee. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Then she said, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one her of thy son fall to the earth. And then the woman said, Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, Speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak, speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. For we must all needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person, Yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. Now therefore that I am come to speak of this thing unto my lord the king, it is because the people have made me afraid, and thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid. For the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance." Of God. Then thine handmaid said, The word of my lord the king shall now be comfortable. 
For as an angel of God, so is my Lord the King to discern good and bad. Therefore the Lord thy God will be with thee. David has caught on exactly what's happening here. Because in verse 18, David turns to her and he says, Then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing that I shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my lord the king now speak. And the king said, Is not the hand of Job with thee in all this? And the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from what that my lord the king has spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in the mouth of thine handmaid, to fetch about this form of speech hath thy servant Job done this thing. And my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know all things that are in the earth. And the king said unto Joab, Behold now, I have done this thing. Go therefore bring the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the, on, to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. And so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. And so Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it, he weighed the hair of his head at two hundred shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of a fair countenance. And so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem. And saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent to Joab to have sent him to the king. But he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time he would not come. Therefore he said unto his servant, See Joab's field is near mine. And he hath barley there. Go and set it in fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house. And said unto him, Wherefore have thy servant set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be iniquity in me, let him kill me. And so Joab came to the king and told him, and When he called for Absalom, he came to the king, and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Sometimes they say that the truth is stranger than fiction, and if you were to read through the last two or three chapters leading up to this chapter that we have read tonight, you certainly would be conspiring with that because you really couldn't make up the events that are recorded here in these two or three chapters. But without going into any more of the context for the moment, I want just to lift ourselves out of the passage. I want to share with you the story of a young man called Joe Akiki. Joe, when he was growing up as a boy, he had a very strong desire, a desire to travel, a desire to leave home, 
a desire to work overseas, spend some time meeting people from different countries, different continents, getting a bit of life experience right across the world. Joe's mother wasn't so keen on the idea. Joe's mother encouraged him to stay at home. Uh, she, she had a number of, of different uh, reasons for it. Uh, he, he was, of course, her boy. She didn't really want him traveling the world. She wanted to be able to ha- have him nearby, wanted to keep him close to home. Uh, the family was from the Middle East, and they had a little phrase, help to water the cedar trees. And Joe's mother used that phrase to him quite often. She said, Joe, stay in your own country and water the cedar trees. In other words, what she was trying to persuade him to do was to put his work and his effort into his own country, to his own nation, and to seek to see it grow and flourish. And so it seemed that Joe was willing to listen to his mother's advice, certainly for a while anyhow. For three years, Joe had been at university in his own land, and alongside studying at university, Joe was also training and working as an electrician. Once a month, he would carry out a double shift, and one Tuesday evening, Joe went along to his work, and his shift started at four o'clock. He was just a few hours into his shift, and when he was working along in his employment, he noticed an adjacent building that had went on fire. Joe sent a video to his friends. He, it was very clear from the video uh, that what Joe had done was he had climbed up into the roof of the building that he was working in, and this fire was in the adjacent building, and there was Joe, uh, and Joe was, Joe was busy, busy filming this fire that had, had happened in the neighboring building. As you would watch the video, you, you could hear the sirens of the emergency services. They were coming. And very soon the video shows, and there's Joe with, with a bird's eye view. It shows the emergency services, the fire engines pulling up in the space between the two buildings. It shows them uh, jumping out of their fire engines, starting to, to unwind the hoses. But you see, little did Joe realize. And little did Joe's friends realize as he live streamed that. Little did the firefighters realize that just within moments, of that point, what has been described as the biggest non-nuclear explosion in the world would take place. In just a moment, in just a few seconds, without any warning, hundreds would be dead, hundreds would be missing, thousands would be injured. You see, Joe lived in Beirut, and that huge explosion that ripped through Beirut in in that storage depot just a few years ago, that changed the lives of so many people in an unimaginable way. You see, we live in a world that is changing. There is change all around us. Change happens because of events. I have given you one instance of so many. Think of the events that have affected perhaps even lives in this world recently. Think, think of the, the conflict in Ukraine. Think of people who lived in small towns and villages and a decision was made, a series of events took place and their lives changed so drastically. Think of Brexit. 
Think of COVID, what we've been through in the past few years. And all around us, change is happening. Here's the reality. Change is all around us. The hymn writer, he wrote a very famous hymn, Abide With Me. And there's a little line in it, and here's what it says. It says, change and decay in all around, I see. I think you would all agree with me. The reality is, society is changing all around us. Attitudes change. People change. Circumstances change. Families change. Church all around us. And yet, I want to take you tonight to a little verse that is found here in 2 Samuel chapter 14. I want to take you to some words that were said by this woman that we've described as the woman of Tekoa. Now, her motives may not have been entirely pure in what she was doing. And her words were were trying to produce an outcome in a certain set of circumstances. But here, nevertheless, here's the reality. It says, for we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground. Verse 14 I'm reminded of the certainty of death, for we must needs die. You'll remember, of course, it was James. James, James described hey, our life. He said it was like a vapor. He's, he's basically using the illustration. You take the kettle, you put it on, the kettle starts to boil, the steam appears for a few minutes, and then you look back and, and the steam is all gone. James says your, your life is so short in comparison. He says it's just like a vapor that comes out of a kettle and and disappears. The Bible describes our life, or describes death elsewhere, it describes it as an appointment. You see, Job talked about there was a line. There was a line set that you and I cannot cross. God has appointed unto every one of us a day when death will happen. Here's the reality. Death is certain because we cannot avoid that appointment. My wife has an awful fear of dentists, and because of that, she kept canceling her dentist appointment and kicking it down the road. And it eventually got to the point where I think it was five or six years that she had put the appointment back so many times that she hadn't been to the dentist. And from time to time, for different reasons, we will all cancel appointments, we'll change appointments, we'll postpone appointments. We'll phone up somebody and say, listen, I know I was meant to meet you tomorrow, but circumstances have changed. I'm going to have to change that appointment. But you see, God has made this appointment. And there is no avoiding it. There is no changing it. Take a walk around any town, look at any cemetery, look at any graveyard, and the proof is there that death is real. But you see, when I, when I look here at this verse, not only do I see that death is certain, but I also notice that death can be sudden. You see, look, notice how the woman phrases it here in verse 14. She says, we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground. You see that little word, spilt? When I, when I, when I read that word, it doesn't suggest to me, you know, something that, that, that is purposeful, something that is planned. So, something, something, that, something that is spilt is something that happens suddenly. 
It, it has happened accidentally. Someone comes along and, and, and they hit a glass or they hit a jug and the water is spilt on the ground. There was no warning that it was going to happen. It just happened in a moment of time. And you see, here's the reality, as I've already said. God knows the exact moment that each one of us is going to die. That day, that hour, that minute has already been decided. But you see, the problem is, we don't know. There's no appointment card. There's no forewarning. And so for that reason, death, death can be so sudden. This verse, it reminds me of the fact that death is certain. It reminds me of the fact that death is sudden, but it also reminds me of the fact that death is final. You see the little phrase, water spilt on the ground. When I thought about that phrase, I, I thought about when I was 14 or 15, on school holidays and evenings, I, I, worked, for, I worked on a local farm. And one of the farmer's sons was building a new house. I, I was off on my Easter holidays, and he had brought in timber for the skirting boards. Uh, and the task that I had for one of the days was to paint the skirting board. So all of the skirting boards were laid out in this shed, and I was given the tin of paint and sent them away to paint the skirting boards. You know the last words he said to me before he walked out the door? He said, make sure you don't knock the paint over. Well, I was busy painting away quite happily for an hour or two, and I was been very careful. The paint was sitting in the timber, and I was painting away, and then next thing I turned around, and bang. Now, I looked down, and I really wished that I could have gathered that paint back up. But there it was, and it was just spreading further and further across the ground. And all the little bits of dust and wood shavings were just forming in it. Oh, I would love to have got down. I would love to have been able to take it up and gather it in my hands and put it back into the tin. But I couldn't do it. Water that has spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. And if you think of the context here, this was a Middle East situation. Here was the dry, parched earth. And if someone took a glass of water and spilt it on the ground within seconds, the water would have disappeared. I mentioned in passing this morning the little incident that we had eight or ten weeks ago where our collie that we had for 14 or 15 years ended up getting reversed over and killed. It's something every day still when I walk around the side of the house and see the spot where it happened and I can remember sitting in the telescopic and, and, and looking out through the window and realizing what had happened. And jumping out to find, her, to find her dead on the ground. And you start to do all the 
ifs and maybes and buts. If only we had done this, and if only we had done that, and if only we had done the other. And listen, that dog, and I know it's only a dog, but that dog meant so much to us. And if only we could have brought her back. If only we could have had the opportunity to do things differently. But no, you know something, in a matter of seconds, all of the things that were in my mind that day, all of the builders coming, all of the phone calls that were going on about work, all of the stones, everything that was going on in my mind, everything that was so important just a few minutes before, it was all irrelevant. Because death had come to that little animal and death was final. There was no going back. My friend, what was true in that situation? So many have experienced that with loved ones. Death has come. And at that point, we're full of regrets and we're full of ifs and buts and maybes, but we realize, we realize, albeit too late, that death is final. And listen, I say to you tonight that, that listen, death is certain and death could be sudden. And all of a sudden, you, through some circumstance, have given, I've given the situation or the story of Joe Kiki. And okay, maybe it was a very extreme situation, but through car accidents, through heart attacks, through all different sorts of circumstances, death can come in a second. It's all too late. Listen, time is slipping by. Death is sudden. But listen, there's something else here. And that is that sin is serious. You see, this woman, if you look down towards the end of verse 14, this woman uses the word banished. Banished. You see, sin, what is sin? Sin is when we break God's laws. Sin is when we do that which displeases God. And every one of us, every one of us are born with sin. But listen, Sin today in society. Sin is treated as a small thing. Sin is treated as a light thing. But sin is serious. Listen, we have all sorts of problems in society today, and we're employing consultants, we're employing people to try and examine things and how to fix things and how to get society back from the brink, etc., etc. But the reality is sin affects society, and it does today. But listen, sin not only affects society, sin affects individuals. Sin brings sadness. Sin brings suffering. I could give you many examples out of Scripture tonight, but you and I know exactly what I'm saying and talking about. You can think, even as I'm saying this tonight, you can think tonight of people whose lives are ruined, people tonight whose lives are full of sadness, people whose lives tonight are full of suffering that has been brought about because of sin. But listen, sin brings something else. Sin brings separation. You see, the word that is used here, the word banished, it means to be kept out. It means to be put out. It means to be expelled. And whenever you read through the Bible, you will see many examples of separation because of sin. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, put in the perfect environment, they were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they sinned. They displeased God. They did what God told them not to do. And what happened? They were put out of the garden. You think of Noah, and he built the ark, and the flood started to come, and the door was closed, and all of those people, because of their sin, what happened? They were kept out. 
sin separates. You say, how does that apply to me? Well, let me tell you some words or remind you of some words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, talking in Matthew 7, he talked about people who were coming and they were looking to get into heaven. And heaven's a beautiful place. Heaven's a, a wonderful place. Heaven, heaven one, of the, one of the writers of the Scriptures told us that heaven is so magnificent that we can't even start to comprehend what it's like. But the Savior talked about people and they were looking to get into heaven and he said he was going to have to turn around to them and say, depart from me. Why? Because their sin was unforgiven and their sin would keep them out of heaven. And I have to say to you tonight, I have to say to you tonight, that because you've been born with sin, if your sin has never been forgiven, then it is impossible for you to get into heaven as you are. You may know about heaven, you may hear about heaven, you may long to go to heaven. But the reality is that your sin is keeping you out of heaven. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This verse, it reminds me that death is real. It reminds me that sin is serious. But it reminds me of something else, and that is that judgment is certain. You see, there's a wee verse in the middle, a wee phrase in the middle of verse 14. And it says, neither doth God respect any person. Do you know what that really means? It means that God won't show favoritism. I, I was talking to you this morning, or made a, a reference to, um, to digging carts many years ago. Uh, if we go back to the, to the carts, what we would have done in wintertime was... Uh, to keep the frost off them, we would have went out and we would have covered them with six or eight inches of straw to keep the frost off them. One winter's morning, one uh, Tuesday morning, because I know it for it was market day in Lisburn, uh, one Tuesday morning we were, we were heading out with a, a load of straw to cover the carts. And unknown to me, it was a fairly high load and one of the ropes had caught on a branch and the rope had been broken I turned into the old Hillsborough Road in Lisburn, and as I turned round the corner, there was a little round cleo sitting at the junction waiting to come out, and it disappeared. The lotus straw went right over the top of it. Now, it was about half eight, quarter to nine on a market morning in Lisburn. The traffic was chaos, and the road was covered in straw from one side to the other. And obviously, the police were going to be called. And uh, I was never as glad in my life when I seen the Land Rover pull up and the guy jumped out of the driver's seat and it was a guy that I knew. Why was I glad to see him? Because I knew he wasn't going to deal with this any more harshly than he needed to. You see, because I knew him, I thought I could get a favor. My son was talking last night to my wife about uh, physiotherapy and, and about some guy who, or, uh, who was a very good 
uh, and he said to her, the, the waiting time uh, is about three months for the guy. Uh, and he says, but uh, I can get in quicker. Uh, and she said, how can you get in quicker? He says, it's all about who you know. And you see, so often in life, we're, we're looking favors. Or we expect that because we know someone, it'll work to our advantage. But you see, this woman reminds us of the truth that God is no respecter of persons. There is no favorites with God. After I tell you this, you think I'm constantly in trouble with the law, but uh, I got a phone call one morning five or six weeks ago. One of our lorries was up in Coleraine. He had a bit of bother uh, get, getting a pallet of stuff into the container. And uh, so instead of lifting it and, and, and setting it in by hand, he just abandoned it outside. And uh, I got a phone call from the office to make me aware of this, that the, the yard where they'd left it had phoned up to say that the sun was shining and the chocolate was melting and caramel squares were starting to run through the bottom of the basket. And uh, I was at that point sort of getting close to Antrim, so I said, look... I'll shoot on up the road and, and sort it out myself. So off I did. And then next thing I, I say, I, I wasn't really, I, I was trying to hurry to, to, to sort out the problem. I was on the phone at the same time, probably wasn't paying as much attention as I should have. And then next thing, about a week later, this little letter came into the office. Could you identify the driver off and the registration? And so they had to put in my name, my address, and I got this nice little letter a few days later. You know what it said along the bottom of it? There is no right of appeal. You see, it was guilty. And there was nothing I could do to, to wriggle out of the situation. I was guilty and I, I, was going to, I was going to have to face the consequences. And listen, that's where our sin is. There is no right of appeal, humanly speaking. Each one of us are guilty. Each one of us are going to face judgment. And God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to turn a blind eye. He's not going to say, we did this, that, or the other, and therefore he will let us away with it. But listen, let me come very quickly to the final truth. You see, we've thought about here that about death being certain. We've thought, we've thought here about sin being serious. We've thought about judgment being certain. But here's the truth I leave with you. And maybe you've said tonight, listen, why did I, why did I even bother coming to this meeting? Because it's all been very depressing. Basically, so far, you've told me that I'm going to die. You've told me that I'm a sinner. And that when I die, I'm going to face judgment. And there's nothing I can do about it. All you've done tonight is depress the life out of me. What was the point or purpose of me even been here? Well, listen, let me very quickly bring you to the final truth. And the truth is this. God is merciful. Look at verse 14. The woman says, Neither God doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. This is the truth that the woman was sharing with David. She says, David, God is merciful. And of course, what she's referring to is what you and I now know as the gospel. You see, there is a God who loved us even though we were sinners, even though we had broken His law. God loved us. And God loved us so much that he wants, to, he wants to deliver us from hell. He wants to bring us to heaven to be with Him for all of eternity. 
And so what God did was this. God came up with a plan. And what a plan that was. We have been singing about it tonight. We've been singing about the blood. You know what that blood referring to? That blood's referring to the blood of Jesus Christ, God's own dear Son. The one who was sinless, the one who was pure, the one who was holy. He came to this earth and he died He died on a cross. He died on the cross for sins, but not for his own sins. He died for our sins. He died so that you and I could be forgiven. He died. He took the punishment that we should have gotten. He took the punishment for our sin. All the things that we did that were wrong, he took that punishment. He bore the punishment for us. And here's the gospel message tonight. Because Jesus Christ has died, because he has shed his blood, because the price has been paid, it is possible for you and I tonight to stand before judge, stand in judgment. And we were thinking about it this morning around the table without blame. It is possible for you and I to go to judgment day and not be punished. Because Christ has paid the price. Listen, as I close tonight, the message was sent out to Absalom. Absalom was David's son who was banished. The message was sent out to Absalom. David is inviting you to come back. But you know what Absalom had to do? Absalom had to make a decision. Absalom had to decide how he was going to respond to the invitation. That's where we're at tonight. You've been told about death and about sin and about judgment. You've been told there's a way to avoid it. You've been told that Christ has died for you. Christ has paid the price. But the decision you've got to make is this. Are you going to turn from your sin? Are you going to accept him as your saviour? Because it's only by doing that that death will have no fear, that sin can be dealt with, and that judgment will hold no worries for you. I trust tonight that you'll make that decision. We're going to close by singing, I've wandered far away from God, 331.